why that explains the how in fundraising. Hi, I'm Bill Stanjakevich. This is the first day from the fundraising school, and I'm joined today by Dr. Ruth Hansen, professor at the University of Wisconsin-Whitewater and a good friend of the Indiana University Lilly Family School of Philanthropy, in which resides the fundraising school. Ruth, so good to be with you again, and thanks for joining us on the Fundraising Schools podcast. Oh, Bill, I'm delighted to be here. Thank you so much for having me. And Ruth is the author of Chapter 4 of Achieving Excellence in Fundraising, the fifth edition that was published in the year 2022, and that chapter is Theory in Fundraising. Now, wait, don't hit pause, don't hit stop. I know a lot of you are anxious for the practices of fundraising, and those are taught throughout the 39 chapters of this textbook, but we want to understand the why behind those practices. There are theories that undergird effective fundraising practice and understanding this why can strengthen your fundraising skills and abilities. And so Ruth, first of all, just kind of again, this big picture, what is the role of theory in fundraising practice? Yeah, it's a really great question. Um, and, And Bill, I think As you said, we're so used to learning the practice, to learn the do this step, then this step, then then this step, which is kind of a cookbook approach, right? Taking you through the steps. Um, If you you are at the point where you can step back and say, I wonder why that happens. What are, um, what, how can we make predictions based on this? It's actually less to memorize because you understand, as you said, why, how things work. And uh, so much attention in, in the scholarly literature in research has been on either you know what happens uh, or or why do people make gifts, which is obviously those are very important questions. There hasn't been as much on well, why do we do what we do with fundraising? How does it actually work? And I'm so excited to be able to contribute, you know, some of that. Uh, to this to this text. You know, Ruth, it's so easy to get caught up in the necessary management of fundraising, our specific fundraising plan, our vehicles and our tactics, our, you know, our matrix and, and are we hitting our goals? And, and all those things are so important. How can theory, kind of looking at the big picture that undergirds these practices, how can that help us just, you know, keep a good context and a good frame of mind as we're really just immersed in the day-to-day practices of fundraising? Yeah, context is a really good way to think about it. Um, There are two metaphors that I really like in thinking about how theory contributes. One is the idea of theory as a spotlight. Just, Just focusing on this one aspect, how does this one aspect really work and isolating it, pulling it out, examining it uh, so that you can then put it back in and understand how it functions with relation to to other other items, right? And the other is the metaphor of uh, really like a coat closet or or if you think about, uh, you know, going into the bathroom, you have all those hooks that you put your towels on or whatever. Sometimes we have so much going on, the theory can be kind of like those hooks on the wall that lets you, gives you a place to put information and step back and say, aha, now I see it. Now I understand what's happening here. 
Well, and I will mix your metaphors as a friendly amendment and say that I need a spotlight for my coat closet. because <laughs> There's so much in the coat closet that I need some some illumination to make sense of it all. And it sounds like these theories do that. Yeah, I mean, that's 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 a really common thing, right? Is there's so much going on. And if you're so used to, you know, just pulling out your blue jacket, right, or your tan sweater or what have you, then you might not even recognize the depth of what's in there. What a great uh, framing of this chapter, chapter four, theory and fundraising in achieving excellence in fundraising, edition number five. Uh, and there are several theories that are described in this chapter. I just want to lift out a few of them to, to give our audience here a sense, Ruth, uh, of what you're teaching us here. One that is really predominant in the field of fundraising is systems theory. What is systems theory and how does that apply to fundraising? So systems theory, um, this is something that, that you know, for, for any of our listeners who have, you know, perhaps gone to business school, done their MBAs or whatever, they may have run into this. It comes out of the idea that, um, uh, that uh, we, we are either in a closed system or we're in an open system. And, uh, and the difference between these two is basically closed system is your island, right? And an open system is, no, we have, oh, you know what it's like? It's like when you were learning about cell walls and cell membranes back in, in high school biology, um, the, the plants have the cell walls, nothing goes in or out really, um, uh, but the animals have the cell membranes that allow gases and fluids to permeate, go back and forth. Well, that could just as easily be support, right? That could be funds coming in, but it's also us going out and interacting with the community, which of course we as fundraisers do. Basically systems theory tells us that we are not in isolation. Everything we do is impacted by the environment that we're in. And we also influence the environment that we're in. Ruth, when I think about applying systems theory, then I think about, you know, how important is it to have systems theory as a mindset? You know, we, we have folks in the philanthropic sector and they care so much about their cause and they care so much about their mission. And it would be easy to think, well, everybody cares about this cause and everybody thinks about this mission. So, of course, I'm just going to, you know, obtain all the support that I need. That would be a closed system way of thinking. Why is systems theory an important mindset to have when we're fundraising for the nonprofit? Yeah, um, one, of the, one of the implications, first of all, to answer your question, it's very important. It's, in fact, I would say it's fundamental um, in that we can't assume, as you said, that everybody has the same priorities, the same values, the same life experiences that drive their choices that we do. Um, and so what we as fundraisers wind up doing is essentially it's, it's a, a function called boundary spanning, right? So the boundary being between the organization where people are living this cause on a daily basis and the outside world where people have other priorities, other things that are capturing their attention. So we as fundraisers are, are, are spanning this boundary. We're acting as liaisons with our donors, with our potential donors, with our potential supporters in the community um, and meeting them where they're at. So I think it's really important to acknowledge that not everybody is you know, currently within our organization. We rely on them for funding. They're also going to want to 
you know, learn more about us and, and, uh, and perhaps influence part of, part of what our mindset is. Fundraising is part of philanthropy and philanthropy is voluntary action for the public good. We're encouraging people to volunteer their time, their voice, their talents, their skills, their contact lists, and yes, their financial resources. That takes a two-way relationship, not a one-way relationship. And that's at the heart of systems theory. Uh, and then, Ruth, you also teach us about resource dependence theory. You know, the, the nonprofit sector in the United States alone is at least a $2.5 trillion industry. Only about 16% of that are dollars that are fundraised. About half is earned income. About a third is, is government money. Uh, what is resource dependence theory and how does that relate to fundraising? Yeah, at its heart, it's a really simple idea, uh, which is that organizations will do what they need to do in order to survive, right? Sounds kind of like call of the wild here. Uh, we've, we've now gone into the nature documentary part of the podcast. Um, what it means, though, in terms of fundraising, a couple of things. First of all, uh, the more that we rely on voluntary resources, on donations, the more likely we are to allocate staff or volunteer resources to pursue that. Um, and this holds true, you know, if you're relying more on, on federal grants, right, then you're going to be more likely to have dedicated staff doing that. Um, there's also some implications there in terms of, hey, if you have a very large donor and your program is relying very much on them, um, then, then that's probably going to have more influence on your internal decisions than, uh, than if you have less reliance on that donor. Again, this may seem very intuitive, but it's shining that spotlight, right? Uh, that, that might affect staffing decisions, might affect, uh, might affect program decisions. Um, the more we can understand the dynamics we're working with, the better we can make informed choices. And, and when we see this play out, you know, in practice, you know, for example, resource dependence theory teaches us that in a nonprofit that is not heavily reliant on fundraising for dollars, guess what? The board of directors tends to be less engaged with fundraising. Not a surprise, makes sense, right? Because the board members are like, hey, we're getting money from, from those other sources. Or Ruth, I also think about at the fundraising school, when we teach nonprofits that receive a large amount of government money, from the donor perspective, they might think, well, the government is taking care of that. You're not as dependent on my resource as a donor. So again, a lot of important implications here for day-to-day -day fundraising. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it should definitely affect your strategy um, in terms of staffing, in terms of budgeting, in terms of it will affect probably in terms of programs as well and your fundraising case for support to your donors uh, accordingly. Now, now, one of the theories you talk about is gift theory. Yes. I vote yes. As a fundraiser, I vote yes, because I'm, I'm trying to raise gifts. What is gift theory? No, I, and, and I appreciate your support for gift theory. Um, <laughs> we'll get little buttons made. Um, so gift <laughs> theory really comes from anthropology. Um, and it is, it is the observation that pretty much human societies everywhere have gift giving, right? Have this voluntary sharing and giving uh, between each other. And it doesn't have to be checks 
or uh, or Bitcoin or whatever, right? It could be it could be uh, watching each other's kids. It could be uh, bringing over a casserole or what have you, right? And the I, there's there's a couple big things of gift theory. Uh, one is just that that idea of generosity is really part of our social fabric. The other is that the idea of reciprocity. And I think where this comes in in fundraising um, is, is the idea that we as fundraisers, we can't always be asking. I, I like to call fundraising the please and thank you department um, because sometimes what we're reciprocating with is appreciation uh, or re we're reciprocating with um, here, you, you get to see the impact that your gift has had. That has value as well. That is also the gift of attention, the gift of thoughtfulness. And I think one of the implications here is stewardship is important and it's part of fundraising. Um, if we're measuring our goals simply by how many times did you say please, that's, that's important, but how many times you say thank you is going to affect that in the long term. And this is why at our school, we teach that philanthropy is intrinsic to the human condition. And in terms of practical application, in addition to the good advice that Ruth shared with us, why we can fundraise with confidence and why we can steward with confidence because gift theory helps us understand that gift giving is just part of the human condition across cultures. And lastly, Ruth, just one last one to highlight, and again, there are more in the chapter that we want folks to, to study, is of course, we're tailoring our request to each and every individual donor, foundation, corporation. Uh, and one of the theories that helps us do that is social identity theory. Help us understand that, please. Yeah. So there's a lot to unpack in social identity theory, but um, the key aspect there is that we have not just our own personal identities, but also our memberships, our affiliations with different groups that help us understand who we are as part of society. It might be, I am part of the church choir. I am part of the bowling team. I am a Girl Scout leader, right? And so how you act in any given situation might be affected by who you're around. If you're around other members of the choir, you're going to fall into those habits. If you are around other you know, parents from the Girl Scout troop, that's, that, that might affect uh, your behavior. But it also means that if this identity is, is prominent or salient is the, is the technical term, in other words, it's got that spotlight on it. It's it's part of what you're you're how you're reacting in a given moment. Um, that's going to affect your decisions as far as saying yes, as far as what you want to support. Um, and if you see giving to a certain charity as being part of your identity, for example. I am an alumna of IUPUI. Uh, if I am with a group of other people who also went to IUPUI, um, then, then the idea of supporting 
that school is going to be much richer, much more top of my mind, much more tied in with all of my good memories um, than if I'm currently in, in some other kind of social identity moment. And not just how I identify myself, but how I identify myself in relation to others. It's social identity, not just self-identity. And it's those relationships that can help uh, influence charitable giving decisions. And, and folks, as you can see here, that's why we ask you not to hit pause or hit stop. As you can see from Dr. Ruth Hansen's expertise, her wisdom and her wit, that there are theories underlying effective fundraising practice. And, and by looking at these, you can understand your fundraising planning overall and your day-to-day -day fundraising practice in a broader context that can give you even more confidence for effective fundraising. This is chapter four, theory and fundraising in uh, our latest edition of our textbook, uh, Achieving Excellence in Fundraising, the fifth edition published in 2022. And information about the textbook is available on our website at philanthropy.iupui.edu forward slash the fundraising school, where you will also learn about the public courses that we offer in person in more and more US cities, online, anywhere around the world, either asynchronous, meaning recorded, or synchronous, also live virtual format. We have our quarterly webinars and, of course, these free weekly podcasts at philanthropy.iupui.edu forward slash the fundraising school. I'm so grateful to my friend and colleague, Dr. Ruth Hansen, uh, the author of Theory in Fundraising. Our producers today are Mike Anthony and Jennifer Boffman. I'm Bill Stanjakevich, and now you are now more fully informed on this first day from the fundraising school. Mm -hmm.